Welcome to the Way of the Weaver podcast, where we explore magic, justice, and community. Thanks for showing up to our queer-centric, radically enchanted conversations. Our world needs your magic. I'm Jamie Wagner. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm coming to you from Muskogee land in so-called Alabama. I'm Murphy Robinson. My pronouns are they or he, and I'm coming to you from Indakana, the land of the Abenaki people, also known as Vermont. So, Jamie, when did you first start working with the gods? <laughs> I first started working with the gods. I'd have to say that that it the um it was 1999, <laughs> and I was finishing up my bachelor's degree in philosophy, and my studies at that time were heavily influenced by uh, feminist theory and history. And it, that was the first time I became aware of the reemergence of earth-based spirituality, um, that there were folks out there that that were, you know, reinvigorating um, those types of traditions and had witchcraft circles and were worshiping the goddess. And, you know, it kind of blew my mind <laughs> a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my academic interest, it sort of blossomed into a crush and that went from that to sort of falling in love with the goddess. And I've been pagan ever since. (laughs) Falling in love with the goddess as you do. (laughs) You you come from a pretty Christian upbringing, right? Yes. A very Christian upbringing. Um, uh, Very, you know, very, uh, very conservative and um you know went to church all the time was baptized when i was 13 all that stuff um i am the i am the only pagan in my family that i know of <laughs> and was your your falling in love with the goddess type experience was that happening like alone in a dusty garret in the library or was that happening <laughs> in a community of other people no, that was um, that was alone. Honestly, I was real shy about it. Um, when I first started working with the goddess or even thinking about it, you know, I had to give myself permission to lean into it. Um, it was very much outside the scope of experience I had up until that point in time. And so my first ritual that I did, it was a solo ritual. It was in it was in my tiny cramped high-rise apartment <laughs> that I was living in at the time. Um, it was at the Autumn Equinox in 1999. And um, actually, I planned the ritual with a trance journey in it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really, it was kind of an open-ended trance. I wasn't going to meet with a specific goddess or, you know, going to a specific place. I was just kind of letting uh letting uh, whoever came through sort of sort of show up and it was Persephone which was really interesting um mm, I didn't the, know that yeah interesting. <laughs> yeah yeah which was really interesting and it was a lovely ritual it was a lovely trance and you know at that point in time in 1999 I was 22 um 
And I, this is like over 20 years later. And I had no idea at that point in time how much the underworld would mean to me <laughs> later. Yes. As an adult, so. <laughs> what what yeah. people listening may not know is that you just turned in the final draft of your book on Hades to Llewellyn Publishing House. So uh, <laughs> that, that initial trance to Persephone led to some really significant work later on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was foreshadowing for sure. <laughs> That's so exciting. Well, Aww. what about you, Murphy? What's what's your origin story of working with the gods? Oh, gosh. I mean, I feel like I started becoming pagan around like 1998, maybe when I was 16. I started like reading about pagan spirituality, which was not nearly as big of a cultural leap for me as it was for you, because I was raised very new age by people who were really into transcendental meditation and all this stuff. And, you know, yeah. we talked about chakras at the dinner table and all that. So it um, to me, paganism is quite distinct from a new age spirituality, but most people look at them and can't tell the difference. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but, yeah, um, yeah. paganism is, is a very ancestral path, um, and a very like here and now path, whereas the new age stuff is kind of like transcending into the future and being enlightened in a different way than you ever were before. It's not as, not as grounded in the here and now in my experience. Um, that but yeah, it feels really heady to me and, and paganism feels a little bit more embodied. I don't, I don't know if that, you know, if that yes. kind of feels that way to you, but. And, and I find a lot of new age uh, spirituality has some really strong Christian overtones um, and also a lot of really strongly gendered language and gender binary concepts. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is because a lot of it was developed in the eighties, but um, whereas I mean, you can totally do paganism that way, but the people I do paganism with are very like wild and queer and ecstatic about it. Yeah. It's not, yeah. Um, yeah. Not, not looking like that. Um, and part of part of that coming into paganism was this idea of like, oh, I can um, look at these ancestral deities as my model for divinity and, you know, also the strong concept in paganism that like we are each divinity, we are each divine um yeah. was a part of that too but at the time you know I'm transmasculine now I use they and he pronouns but at the time I was not questioning my assigned female gender and uh it felt really meaningful for me to have a feminine face of God and to be I found that I I tried to pray to God like the Christian God I guess before and it just it felt like I couldn't even do it it didn't really work um but when I started <laughs> trying to pray like I couldn't like I couldn't perform it whether or not God was hearing it I don't know but um and uh when I started changing that concept of like oh I could pray to this goddess who is like nurturing and empowered and kind and all these things um I found that I could pray really easily um and so I started exploring like what actual faces of the goddess I wanted to engage with at that time um and then I I got I joined um this like goddess camp when I was 18 in the year 2000 and um there's women's circles at the row camp center in Massachusetts and oh, there's I'm, I'm a familiar with that yeah yeah it's a I mean I haven't been there in years but it was a great community for me at the time um and uh the high priestess there Eclipse Faye Falconbridge did a um a ritual where she aspected Arian Road the Celtic star goddess <laughs> and that is the moment for me when it went from uh, theory to reality like the the power of her you know channeling the energy of this goddess into her through her body um just like when she like looked into your eyes 
you could just feel this immense power that felt like it could squish you under the heel of its sandal. You know, like it was very, very palpable in the room. Sounds sounds like Arian Road for yeah, sure. Yeah, she's not a super friendly <laughs> goddess, but but there was she can be pretty intimidating. <laughs> the the power, the raw power in it. Um, it it was like kind of frightening, but not not in a sinister way. Just like like oh right. wow, this is really real. And um, after that, I started to take deity much more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't start working with a group until I think it was 2005 when I joined, um, the sisterhood of Avalon, which is a, it's an inclusive women's Celtic mystery tradition. And I started working with, um, five of the goddesses in the Mabignogian, which is the, um, it's a, it's a medieval text, but it's from a much er earlier, uh, oral tradition from Wales. And so then I started working with Arian Road and Caridwin and Bronwyn and Rhiannon and Blodiaweth. And um, that was my practice for many, many years, honestly, until about 2016, 2017. And that's when that changed. Um, what gods do you work with the most, Murphy? These, you know, there have been phases for sure. Um, but these days I work a lot with the Norse pantheon. Um, I feel really connected to Norse mythology, medieval Norse literature, um, and the the Norse cosmology and deity uh, pantheon. And uh, for a long time, my main deity in the Norse pantheon that I was in relationship with was Skadi, who is the huntress goddess. Um, and she's a, a fierce warrior and fighter as well. So she brought a lot of that like combination of strength but um still being able to like a be a female figure with a uh, physical strength and with mm. that kind of um very direct influence on the world that I could relate to more as a transmasculine person that wasn't super aware of my transmasculinity yeah. yet I guess yeah <laughs> yeah um and these days uh actually just what was that like a year or two ago I started to work with Loki uh who is a controversial <laughs> figure the trickster that he is um and often conflated with the devil by people who don't understand pagan mythology but um Loki is an extremely gender queer god and there are like <laughs> very clear physical gender shifts that he goes in and out of in his myths that were recorded by Christian monks but somehow that still got through um <laughs> And uh, he is, yeah, he's wildly queer and wildly trans. And he's been a really good ally for me as I've come into my own queer and trans identity. Uh, I you, really Jamie? loved, oh. well, I really love, I just have to tell you before, you know, I go into like what gods I work with. Uh, <laughs> I've actually never worked with Norse gods before Way of the Weaver. And and we've worked with Skadi and Ritual. We've worked with Loki and Ritual. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed Loki. <laughs> Loki <laughs> was, was a hoot. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That was a really, really fun, a really fun weekend and a really fun ritual. Yeah, um, Loki wanted a God's... dance party at his ritual if you weren't there. It was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, gods that I work with now. Well, um, I work with Hades uh, a lot, I would say primarily, um, especially because I've been involved in writing a book about Hades and his mythos and what modern devotion looks like. So that's really taken over a lot of my practice. I still work with um, some of the Welsh deities, primarily Caridwin, 
um, also Aryan wrote, um, there's an Oracle deck called Goddess on Earth Oracle, and I'm portraying Aryan wrote in that deck. So um, I do have a pretty close association and I have a little reading nook in my house that I call Arian Rhodes Tower Reading Room. So, um, nice. oh, I wasn't far off with the Dusty Garrett there. <laughs> yeah, no, you weren't far off. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so I still, I still work with, um, you know, with some of those Welsh deities as well, but um, a lot of the, a lot of the Greek pantheon is coming to me these days and especially the, the underworld pantheon. Um, I don't work with Persephone as much as Hades, but of course, um, you know, they, they are, uh, they are husband and wife in the mythos. And so she is there a lot. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at these days, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I think, you know, gods, they, it, it you know, it's interesting because they kind of, they kind of come in and out and they kind of, um, it shifts over the years. And, and I think that's okay. I like that kind of ebb and flow of things. And I think we can send out a little bit of thanks to Hades for really being the God that brought you and I together in collaboration and kept yes. us together in collaboration <laughs> when we were first figuring out how to collaborate best. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, this podcast would not exist if it weren't for Hades. So that's a, that shows you the power of the gods right there. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I get that question uh, a lot whenever I talk about way of the weaver stuff, you know, because I mentioned, you know, in the intro that I'm in Alabama. And so a question I often get asked is like, well, why, how, why do you go to Vermont to work? <laughs> and I'm like, well, because Murphy's in Vermont <laughs> and, you know, where it's you and I being in two, like very like different places physically. Um, I think, you know, without the sort of Hades networking skills that that wouldn't have come together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you and I met at a Hades-themed witch camp, um, and both felt really called to him, so that was, that yeah. was uh, the beginning of, <laughs> that's when we became pen pals after that camp. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, not everyone feels called to work with the gods. You and I both happen to really like that, um, but, you know, that's fine. You don't have to work with gods to be to be a pagan, to have like an animist earth-based spirituality or a witch. You don't even have to work with the gods to be in Wave the Weaver. <laughs> you, know? you just have to put up with um, us talking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Murphy, I, I think you have a really well thought out um, way of describing what people get out of working with the gods, what people get from deity work. Would you, would you just describe some of the things um, that you share with people about, about working with the gods? Yeah, I, I felt inspired to kind of really set down some of my thoughts on this because I so often get this question of like, well, why would I want to work with the gods? Um, because I think a lot of people are like pretty traumatized and pretty gun shy around the concept of deity at all, because all they've encountered is a like heavy handed paternalistic um, Judeo-Christian concept of God. Um and that's, and so they're like, why would I want to replicate that in a pagan contents? Which the answer is oh, yeah. you don't want yeah. to replicate that, but let's stay far away yeah, from that. Exactly. But there's a lot of other things you can get out of it that are really different. <laughs> it's kind of like if you've been, um, you know, if you've dated someone and it was an abusive relationship, it doesn't mean you should never have another relationship. It just means you shouldn't have another abusive relationship. Um, so this is like some ideas about what are the positive things that can come from deity work um, while while always holding that like, consent is super important in all of our spiritual practice and in deity work and 
um, both you and the deity need to consent to working together. And if you decide you don't want to work with the deity, if it's not going well, you can always withdraw consent and set a boundary, um, which is like not something that's offered as a framework in the Judeo-Christian world of like, oh yeah, you no, can just decide not to work with God. <laughs> like that's not, <laughs> it's not an option. <laughs> yeah, no, so. it's not an option. And that's, um, that's, you know, it's oftentimes some like a hurdle that, that uh, people have to overcome. I know I did. So <laughs> yeah. And many people do actually end up setting that boundary with that particular deity, but it's not, um, it's not a framework offered within the tradition. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, this this can apply to to any deity that you feel drawn to, um, with well, with the caveat that if you are working with a deity outside of your own cultural lineage, that needs to be done with great care, especially if you are a white person from a colonial mm -hmm. culture. Um, mm -hmm. But applying this to whatever deity you feel curious about or drawn to, um, usually they can offer you a lot of inspiration and growth. Um, you know, I think in the modern world with modern media, we have like a limited number of models for like how to move forward and grow in healthy ways. Like our, our modern media is really into exploring the tangles and the mess of things, but it's nice to, and not that mythology is not messy and tangled, but there's, um, there's an aspirational quality to a lot of it that I think can be really helpful in our lives. Uh, so if you're trying to figure out what deity to work with, you can think about like, what deity embodies the qualities you want to develop in yourself. You know, when I was starting to work with Skavi, um, I was beginning to learn to hunt and beginning to engage with the sacred hunt as a way of being in relationship with nature at a, in a new way and with a new depth. Um, and so she embodied a lot of the qualities that I was trying to develop in myself. Um, and reading their myths and inviting their energy into your life just gives you like an anchor for this process of personal development, which you're in. Um, yeah, and sometimes, really it, sometimes if you feel drawn to a deity and you're not sure, like sometimes a deity just starts popping up in your life. Like you keep on seeing <laughs> pictures of them on a poster in the subway or whatever, you know, like, because, you know, deities are present in pop culture too. Um, and some of you're not sure why. And sometimes you got to like go and dig into their myths a little bit and their associations and figure out like, is this a message for me? Does this, is this calling me to some form of growth? I haven't even articulated for myself yet. So, you know, you can choose the growth you want and then pick the deity, or sometimes you pick the deity or the deity picks you, and then you can choose, uh, you can figure out what the growth <laughs> that's involved with that is. <laughs> so another reason to hang out with the gods is uh, for aid. Uh, like if, you know, if you're going through a hard time or you need like a small miracle to help you get out of a pickle that you're in, uh, if you have a strong working relationship with a deity, then you can call on them for good counsel and extra luck and a boost to your spell work and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so mm -hmm. it just gives you a resource. It's like having a circle of human friends that have powerful connections in different ways and different strengths and stuff like that. The deities that you associate add to that network that you have of powerful connections and different strengths that you can call on. Um, another reason to work with deity is ancestral reclamation. So a lot of us have been stripped of our connections to our ancestors' wisdom through colonial violence, through cultural erasure um, that happens when we become white. Like then, you know, it's like no longer am I like Irish and Swedish. I'm just white uh, speaking for myself. And I, I can get that back by delving into the actual cultural mythology of those people. It's like a path towards reclaiming that. Hmm. Um, and some people have uh, both of those things combined. Sometimes their ancestors were ripped from their traditions by colonial white violence and white supremacy. And they also like 
on another half that that comes from that white culture they're stripped of that as well and so they're kind of like doubly robbed of of those backgrounds um and so the deity myths uh, from the ancient cultures can offer us clues and ways back to the thinking and feeling methods that predate Western culture mm-hmm. and show us a different way of relating. So it's a way of like, um, yeah, getting beyond our colonial conditioning, basically. Yeah, um, and I think it's, um, I, it always surprises me when I encounter um, white people who are co-opting other traditions right like um indigenous traditions or black spirituality traditions and you know and i think sometimes people do that because they feel like that there's not there's no ancestral connection no ancestral stories no lineage no tradition to to sort of lean on or explore uh, for themselves. And it's just simply not true. And and working with the gods and learning a lot about mythology has, um, you know, that can really open your eyes. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. And people don't realize the sort of genocide that happened in like the witch burnings times, the witch hunt times mm-hmm. in Europe, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because a lot of the reds i mean everyone was christian at those times uh pretty much it was very hard not to be but um there were more cultural threads from pre-christian traditions that were like filtering through at that time and during those witch hunts it literally became life-threatening to carry on those traditions um so it is like there was a very specific erasure of that stuff in european white culture um that we don't talk about and getting uh, finding a way behind that and beyond that and around that is a really important part of becoming like a whole person with a cultural lineage mm-hmm. um if you happen to be from that background um so and i'm sure uh, we'll talk more about that in the future that's a big that's a big topic <laughs> yeah the whole cultural appropriation thing and uh, yeah there's there's a lot there yeah. but um big for, topic <laughs> for today we're just doing an overview um and uh, so another reason to be in association with the gods is just friendship. Like, yeah. you know, when you just like <laughs> hang out with people because they're fun and they're beautiful yeah. and they enrich your life, you know? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And also having friends gives us, um, gives us a place to direct our love, which is so important. Um, Aww, so yeah. like sometimes <laughs> you just want friends so you can like offer them gifts sometimes and give them compliments and they're gonna like bless you and help you out in exchange and the same is true of deity friendships um the uh what what you receive back in exchange for for some people is going to be very uh based in little like little signs and coincidences and um little things that pop into your life very subtle um or Mm -hmm. also if you have a really well-developed trance skill set and have ways to be in direct communication and direct encounter direct conversation with these gods then it can be even a more uh, even more like a human friendship in some ways yeah Um, yeah but being in that energy of exchange with a being who is hopefully benevolently inclined towards you most of the times we pick gods who are going to be benevolently inclined towards us um it's it's just really enriching uh and you can talk to them anytime any place um they're you know they're always available if you like just got arrested after a protest and you're in solitary confinement because you had an x marker on your driver's license and they don't know where to put you you can still talk to the gods when you're when you're in that cell you know <laughs> um I, these are things i think about um but um yeah so they're just they're going to be there for you 
um not not that god's never abandoned you like sometimes gods are bad friends too but um or they'll like say something mean or something like that but um but most of the time i found it to be a really really productive relationship would you say the same I would say so too. Yeah, I would definitely say so. And it, you know, I think earlier you had mentioned something about how it just felt kind of like strange to pray to the Christian God. I mean, that was one of the things I really noticed when I started um, working with pagan gods, with the old gods. Uh, It was kind of like I finally dialed the right phone number, you know, because I, I, you know, all of a sudden I felt like the conversations I was having and the prayers I was making um, were being not only being listened to, like they not only like, you know, had had gone somewhere and been received, but I also felt like I was getting signs and synchronicities back like in the world. Right. So it was a two way conversation. And that was so cool. It was so different than anything I had experienced before. Yeah. And for me, it has really been helpful. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who can just be in totally solitary practice and that's fine. But for me, it's really helpful to have a community of other humans around me that also like believe that you can be having a two-way conversation with the deity and believe that those synchronicities <laughs> mean something yeah. um, and can help you, you know, know enough about your practice that they can help you identify like, hey, did you say you just saw like a huge flock of crows every morning for the past week? Like, didn't you just start working with this deity that's associated with crows? You know, they can help you figure Mm -hmm. it out. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, because sometimes your friends notice before you do. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Just like any relationship. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, and, you know, if you want a deity as a friend, it it is, it's a courtship process, just like it is Mm -hmm. with a human, you know, you Mm -hmm. can approach a deity, start offering them some attention, build them a little altar, offer them some, some prayers, like put their picture as the background on the lock screen on your smartphone, like whatever you want to do. And you can be very modern witch about it. Um, and you'll be able to tell if that deity is reciprocating, like you'll start to notice Mm -hmm. things and then Mm -hmm. you know that that's a real two-way friendship and that you can build on it. Mm -hmm. Um, so the last like reason I have, uh, articulated for why to associate with deity is resistance and revolution. Uh, if you couldn't tell from my (laughs) story about being locked in jail after a protest, which hasn't happened to me yet, but I think about it a lot. I'm a street man. Yeah. I was going to ask you if that was a personal anecdote or. (laughs) No, I just spend a lot of time with other, um, other activists who are trans or genderqueer and, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. are thinking about how to navigate the system of jail as a, like expansively gendered person. Um, and I know people who've been put in solitary for being gender expansive, but, um, anyway, um, yeah, resistance and revolution. So I think that deities have been called upon for help in community, community defense, basically, for as far back as human history can tell us. I mean, the Judeo-Christian God was very much like helping the Jews get free. Um, and that's a whole big part of that story in the old Testament and everything. And, um, that, you know, people have very long called on the deities, especially the deities like of the land where they live, you know, really, if you're Mm -hmm. a really, um, place-based culture, there are deities that help you defend that land. Um, from Mm -hmm. from other people that might be coming in with bad intentions or violent intentions um and i think today they can still help us resist our oppressors and invoke justice in our communities in all kinds of different creative ways um and i have called spirit beings to my side 
went on the front lines, like on the front lines at Standing Rock yeah. and that sort of thing for just for personal protection, yeah. really, mostly. I mean, it wasn't that was I was there as an ally in that fight. It wasn't my cultural fight. So I wasn't going to be like calling forth my warrior gods to like lead the charge. But I could still call right, in my right. allies to help protect me and my affinity group from two spirit camp. Um, and that was very helpful. It, it really bolstered my own courage, which needed it at that point. I'm not super brave when confronted with armed police. Um, and uh, yeah, that it's, I mean, that's a very militant example. The examples don't have to be that militant. There's many other ways right. um, that they can, you know, guide us through uh, legal justice processes and guide mm-hmm. us through mm-hmm. restorative justice processes within our communities and, um, guide us through like grant writing processes for getting the resources we need for our community you know like there's all kinds of different forms of activism and I think that getting that extra energetic boost of having your deities be involved in that is really powerful yeah I feel like um I feel like many of the the old gods are they you can find many of them whose purview is justice (laughs) and You know, they're very much interested in the arc of justice and uh, for reparations and, um, you know, and making sure that uh, people are safe and all of those sorts of things. And, and I just I really love it. Really love it. So let's see. Just to recap real quick. We have inspiration and growth. We have aid. We have ancestral reclamation. We have friendship. We have resistance and revolution. So that's awesome. <laughs> Those are awesome. Selling um, people on the gods. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, speaking of another big topic is the gods and gender. And you touched on that a little bit in, in, in speaking about some of your um, your own experiences. And this is something I get asked about a lot. Uh, because in mythology, you know, usually when you're reading a story, um, gods are assigned gender. And I, you know, I think, and people are like, Jamie, what do you think about that? Like, I, you know, I struggle with gender. So how can I, how can I connect with these gods? And what I tell them is that I think the gods exist in a place that's beyond gender, honestly. Um, But in my experience, they still vibrate a very distinct energy. Um, and we have very limited language, right? We have limited language and we have outdated frameworks. And in the past, humans have attempted to describe these energies with gendered language. And I think it, you know, it's caused problems, but thankfully, um, we are learning a lot more about how to queer the gods and how to speak about them. And, you know, one of the coolest experiences of my entire life so far is aspecting Hades. And aspecting is a very specific magical technology. It's when you invite the energy of a god into your physical body. Um, Oftentimes you let them speak through your mouth. You let them move, like move your body and interact with, um, interact with folks in like a ritual container or a magical container. And it's so that people can have a direct experience with a god. And um, that was the first time I had aspected uh, a god that was, you know, a male, but considered to be a male deity. And that was a super powerful experience. And I just really, I really loved it. And I could really feel um, how distinct his energy was from mine. So what do you think, Murphy? Yeah, you know, I remember you aspecting Hades. That was a really, really powerful, powerful uh, <laughs> moment. And I, I also remember the ways that you 
made it work with your strengths and your gender as well. I remember you being mm-hmm. like, I'm like David Bowie Hades, <laughs> like like your aesthetic for the, you know, the garb and everything like that. You're like, I'm not going to be yep. like ripped warrior Hades, but I'm going to be like David Bowie Hades with David lots of Bowie velvet. Hades. Yep, yep. <laughs> and you totally pulled it <laughs> off. Glam rock Hades. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, which was awesome. And I think Hades loved it too. Um <laughs> But yeah, I get asked this question a lot too. And I, and I hear a lot of resistance from people around working with the guys that is based in the binary gender frameworks that they tend to be presented with. Um, both some resistance from queer people who are like, I don't want to interface with that. And also I've seen a lot of resistance from like cis allies, cisgender allies who want to create an inviting space for queer people. And they think the solution to that is just to like not have gender at all. Um, which some queer people would agree with. I'm I'm not one of those, but um, there's there's many ways to do it. And as we said near the top, like you can totally do paganism without deities, and that's completely fine. I just think you're missing out on some fun stuff. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'm like, why would you not? Um, but uh, I I actually my perspective as a transgender person is that I've found the gendered energy of the gods really helpful in affirming mm. my gender journey. Uh, along its many paths. I mean, as I said, like I really mm-hmm. identified with these like strong female goddesses like Scathi and Artemis when I was younger and still pretty female identified. And um, as I've come into my masculinity, I have started to explore connection with the more masculine gods. You know, I had a, mm-hmm. a really deep relationship with Hades for a long time. And um, that Loki has been super inspirational. I was like, the flaming gay version of of masculinity <laughs> um and um uh there's just and you know i've i actually felt called by some masculine gods far before i was aware of my own trans masculinity like i remember thor came to me on the appalachian trail and was like we're gonna hang out and i was like i only hang out with the girl gods and thor was like nope (laughs) you're gonna hang out with me because you're like one of the fastest people and i'm one of the best warriors and we're just like a match i was like okay we'll try it um (laughs) and um yeah so if it's sometimes the gods get a little ahead of me in my gender journey and i will get a little confused but um it's um they've just i think that the pagan gods have also offered me many different archetypes of masculinity because you know for anyone who considers themselves masculine i sure hope that uh the the puzzle of figuring out how to embody healthy masculinity and sacred masculinity and healing masculinity is like at the center of identity like occupying that identity in an ethical way because we've become so far from that in a lot of the world um and i think that the gendered gods offer us many different templates for that um Mm, yeah and i also am inspired by the gender bending and queer and trans gods of which there are a lot you know (laughs) i mentioned loki and scathi i mean scathi is not Mm -hmm. overtly Mm -hmm. trans in the way that loki is but she's very much crosses the traditional gender roles that we think of um and there Mm -hmm. was room for that in norse society too we have very firm archaeological evidence for female warriors in, in norse society and I don't see why they wouldn't have been female hunters, especially if they had a central place in the mythology that's got to come from somewhere. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And that that's present in different ways in different pantheons. Um, but there's, I think we get a lot of inspiration for how to um, navigate and move across gender binaries uh, by looking at these pre-Christian traditions as well. 
Um, so we'll That's probably cool. do a whole episode on gender some other time. Yeah. That's just like, we, I didn't want to like <laughs> delve into the, uh, the topic without bringing it up because it's like one of the main yeah. questions we get. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll definitely circle back and talk about that more because it, it's, I think it's really fascinating. And I think it's, um, you know, a really uh, good discussion to to have and to keep having. So cool. Um, well, we have a couple announcements. Uh, the biggest, most exciting announcement we have is our Weaver Camp. We're having our first ever summer Weaver Camp. Yay. Uh, it's coming up. Yeah, coming up in July. It's July 21st through the 24th in Vermont. And uh, it's near it's near uh, Worcester, Vermont. It's not actually going to be on Murphy's Land, which is beautiful. The registration for Weaver Camp opens on May 14th at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. And this is going to be a arrive on Friday at noon, and we're going to stay through the weekend until Monday at noon. So we'll camp out in the forest. We'll have lots of fun workshops. We'll have time to hang out and enjoy the land and the weather and each other. And we're going to have two group rituals. And we actually have a theme for camp. Um, when we do retreats or we do events like this, we usually have sort of a, a deity uh, coming in and we study their mythology and we work with them in ritual. And the deity that has come forward for camp is the Lady of the Lake from the Arthurian mythos. So we're excited about that. And I want to let you know also, if you're if you're interested in Weaver Camp, register early, even though camp's not until July, because we only have 30 spots available. And if you want to come, we want you to be there. And you don't have to have attended any of our pre previous events or been in our online classes or anything like that. It's open to everybody 18 and older. <laughs> so and I know, Murphy, you have some other things coming up in June and this summer. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on? Yeah, um, a lot of my my work beyond the weavers is under my business, Mountain Song Expeditions. So you can probably find all the details there. But um, I will be teaching a street medic class, which is first aid for activism and um, community aid. That'll be June 17th through 18th. That's actually being organized by No Coal, No Gas, which is an environmental activist group in Vermont and New Hampshire. Um, so I don't know if I have a registration link up on my website. They're kind of handling registration. But if you send me a message through my website, I can send you the the link. That's a two-day class in medical skills and also like um, a lot of information on police weapons and police negotiation and stuff like that. It's relevant in an activist context. Um we're going to have a lot of work parties this summer <laughs> because um, uh, this land is opening up for more and more large gatherings such as Weaver Camp. Um, and we are continuing to build the facility. You know, this land was um, just raw forest uh, when I moved here and came to be the steward of the land. And we're continually respecting that environment and also building paths and shelters and spots to be fire rings you know on the land um to make it a cool. place that where the humans can be a part of that uh in a comfortable and slightly more accessible way um so there'll be lots of work parties let me know if you want to come to work parties in vermont um and <laughs> then um this year again for the second year we're going to be having Tr vermont trans mask camp which is a camp for people over 18 who consider themselves trans masculine and uh, that was really successful last year. We had two camps last year and it was just so fun. 
Um, this year we're having one in early July, right before Weaver Camp, and one in October on Indigenous People Days weekend. Um, the July one is already full. It filled up in less than 24 hours when we opened registration, but the October one will open wow. registration in like August. Um, yeah, the, the spots are very popular for that one. That's why we need to wow, like, have some more okay. parties and build some more spaces because we need to make it bigger. There, but this yeah. year we raised if you it. Wanna... <laughs> yeah, we're, we're if gonna you want to come, mark that calendar. Like, yeah, people need you got to gotta be in. on the email list <laughs> and on the waiting yeah. list in order to get a spot. Um, but yeah, we, we're, we're doing, we raised the size to 40 people this year. So we're, um, we're slowly making it room for more folks to come and be a part of that really joyful community. Um, and I'll, ha I'm, I'll have some of my hunting programs again in the fall. I, I teach deer hunting from the perspective of a sacred hunt, really connecting to nature and being emotionally present for your hunting process. Um, I also have that available as an e-course that people could take anytime. And um, I have a goal this spring of finally getting up my e-course on archery, um, which people have been asking for ever since I started mentioning I might do it, but I didn't get it made last year. So Hopefully this <laughs> spring or early summer, I'll get the e-course on archery up and there's an e-course on axe skills too. You can take any time if you want to learn how to split wood. So that's some of the stuff I got going on. What about you, Jamie? Well, coming up, uh, let's see, this summer coming up, I have a couple conferences that I'm appearing as a speaker. Uh, the first one is Mystic South. It's uh, July 14th through the 16th in Atlanta, Georgia. And it's a pagan and witchcraft themed conference that um, has a, a specifically Southern flavor. <laughs> nice. And yeah, and um, I am going to be doing a workshop on death priestixing. That's something that Murphy, you and I teach together, uh, but I'm going to be doing a short workshop on that. Um, if you're interested in Mystic South, you can check out their website. It's uh, mystic-south.com. So mystic-south.com. Uh, the next conference, I'm actually doing the Death Precinct Workshop again for the Salem Witchcraft and Folklore Festival. And that is an online conference it's august 3rd through the 6th and they're they're actually really cool that you can buy like tickets for just the workshops that you're interested in you can buy a day pass you can buy a pass for the whole thing you can download the recordings later it's actually really cool what they've got going on there so um and they've got a variety of different topics about witchcraft and folklore and um activism and different things. So that website, if you want to check them out, is salemwitchfest.com. And you can go over there and get more info and see who else is presenting. So <laughs> those things are kind of in the lead up to our uh, winter module for Way of the Weaver. Murphy and I are going to bring back our Death Priestixing online course. So this is one of our online modules. You can take it from anywhere. You don't have to travel to Vermont. And it's a really cool course. It'll start in January and it'll go all the way through April. It's every other week. So I think that it's uh, seven sessions in total. And the Death Pre-Sixing is, is really, it's a cool course. It covers a lot of things. We talk a lot about deities that have death and dying in their purview. We talk about, you know, from a perspective of how we can be there for humans, how we can be there for ancestors. Murphy does a lot of cool sacred hunt stuff and talking about 
about, you know, the food that we eat and the, you know, the land that we live on and the animals we interact with and how, you know, death affects them and how we can be death priestesses for them. So, you know, it's a really cool course. And uh, it's like I said, it's going to be January through April in 2024. And you can head on over to wayoftheweaver.com for the details. The enrollment portal is open. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and enroll. We'd love to have you. And I'm excited for us to be offering that again, because the last time we offered that course, it's actually the first time we offered that course and we put it together, um, was like Samhain 2020, <laughs> which was a very <laughs> death-themed time in the history of the world. Um, and I'm excited to be teaching this again um, in a time which is maybe not quite so, not quite so much constant heaviness around us and we can yeah. just explore yeah. it in a different vibe. I mean, that it was, was a great course then, but uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see how it changes. <laughs> it was the height of the pan, yeah, height of the pandemic before any vaccines or any, you know, any, anybody. Yeah. You know, we were still trying to figure out what was, was going a, on. It was at a that grim moment. time. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure society. Everybody was like, "Oh my, what is going on?" Um, yeah, so I'm excited to do it again too. And but that's what I've got coming up immediately. And. You know, we just thank y'all for showing up for this conversation. We really appreciate you listening to the podcast. And uh, we hope that you'll continue listening and that you'll share with, uh, with your friends. Thanks for joining us. You can learn more about Way of the Weaver programs at www.wayoftheweaver.com. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends. It also helps if you write us a review. Subscribe to this podcast so you never miss a new episode. They'll be coming out on or around the 13th of every month. Our theme music is by Fern Maddie, and you can find more from her at fernmaddiemusic.com. Remember that magic is real, present all around us, and a profound tool for justice and transformation. Use it well. <laughs>